where do you retreat to? All of us tend to retreat to some place. And the challenge of, la of navigating life in transition well is deciding when these malevolent forces come into our lives, do we retreat to things that maybe in our honest moments we know aren't healthy, but they tend to be our happy place, they tend to be our safe place, and even though we know that we shouldn't retreat there continually, we find ourselves going there. This series called Antidote is all about when we are confronted with challenge and transition and change and grief and loss, what do we do? And we're here on Sunday because most of us have a longing and hope that there's something more. And what we'll explore throughout this series, again, is when confronted with distinct and hard challenges, what antidote does God provide for us, and how do we navigate that well? And then what promise does God give to us to take with us? Now, as I mentioned earlier, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be following the life and teaching of Moses and Joshua, two ancient characters from the Old Testament of the Bible. And by way of introduction, something struck me as I was thinking about the navigating the course of this series because we're going to be looking at the Bible a lot because the antidotes that we'll be offering over the course of the next couple of months are rooted in the teaching of the Bible. And for some of you, the thought of, of us continually pointing us back to the Bible is going to seem a little awkward and seem a little weird. I don't remember the exact source of where I heard this from, but I heard recently that Mark Twain, the great American author, had this persistent nightmare of a large Bible pressing down on his chest and kind of smooshing him into his bed. And I wonder how many of you have had a version of that nightmare. Uh, just this week, my late grandmother on my father's side would have celebrated her 95th birthday. And a couple months ago, I got to go back to Milwaukee to her memorial service. She was a founding member of this little Lutheran church just outside of Milwaukee. And I went into the library of this Lutheran church, and sure enough, there was at least one gargantuan Bible in that library. And some of you know what big Bibles look like, either from bad experiences from church or bad experiences from home. And you know the phrase, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words may, will never hurt me. That's not true when it comes to Bible of this size. I mean, if this thing dropped on you, you would, you would feel it. And I was just, and I was carrying it around like, look at the size of this thing. And I think some of you really relate to the Bible like it's some intimidating looking book that's got a lot of rules and regulations and I don't even know where to start and I don't even know if I want to start diving into that thing. And I hope what we'll see together throughout the course of this series is that the Bible really is an active book and it's got a lot of good stuff in there if we take the time to dig into it and to read it. And what we'll find is that God will provide antidotes through his word, and more than that, he'll provide a promise to counteract these challenges that we'll be facing. So again, that's the formula of where we're going throughout this series. A particular challenge that's pressing in against us, the antidote or the counteracting force that will come against that and a, and a promise that God will give us. We'll be following the life of Moses and Joshua. And let me introduce you to Joshua a little bit, because some of you that name Joshua from 
the Old Testament of the Bible, he's a new name for some of you. There are some Joshua's in this room. There were some Joshua's in the room first service. And so if you carry that name, it's a great name. It's uh, steeped in meaning and significance. The name Joshua is a Hebrew word that means Yahweh or Jehovah God is salvation. And the life of Joshua is a fascinating one to look at. Professor Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary many years ago did a study of all the, all the characters and all the people in the Bible. And because he's a professor, he's curious about things like this. By his count, there are 2,930 people in the Bible. It's about 3,000. Of those roughly 3,000, however, some of them we don't really know much about them at all. There are about 100 people in the Bible, though, that we have enough biblical data about their life to know kind of how they started and how they finished, how they ended their lives. And of those roughly 100 people, only about a third of them finished their lives well. And you might be surprised with some fairly famous people from the Bible and how they finished their life, maybe not as well as you, you might think. Kind of an encouragement to us that the Bible is not a collection of stories about righteous saints who always did the right thing. It's a story about a lot of flawed people and their and how they navigated life. Joshua, however, was one of those people, kind of in that 33%, who finished well. And if you were to look at the, a case study of Joshua from the very first time he comes on the scene to the very last words written about him, this was a man of profound faith and a man of consistency. And there's a lot to learn about his life. And one of the things that I admire most about the life of Joshua is a particular leadership quality that is embodied in something that Jim Collins wrote a number of years ago. If you have read the book or listened to the book or are familiar with the book Good to Great by Jim Collins, researcher and, and author, Jim Collins chronicles a, a quality of what he calls level five leaders, of, of breakthrough organizations. He's seen a consistent thread through these breakthrough organizations of, of the upper level leadership. And he calls these level five leaders, uh, there's a, a quality in them that, that he references in the window and the mirror. And what he means by that is these level five leaders, he, uh, in these breakthrough organizations, he said, when criticism came, they were the first to look at themselves in the mirror, step forward, and absorb the criticism. And the window is the idea that when praise, when good results came, when praise came, these leaders were also the first to look out the window and say, no, look at, let's, let's, you all were a part of that. You all, you all celebrate that. It's not me, it's you. They distributed praise and they absorbed criticism. That's so much the character and quality of Joshua's life. Again, his name means Yahweh or Jehovah is salvation. And you'll see, this is a man of incredible accomplishments, a, 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 an accomplished military general and a military leader, incredibly faithful when other people were unfaithful. Yet time and time again, he pointed back to God and said, it's not me. It's God working through people like me that's accomplishing this. And he continued to point the people back to God. He's an incredibly inspiring leader to follow. And we're going to be looking at his life in detail today and then throughout this series. So as we plunge into where we're going to go today, let me give you a little bit of a background because what we're going to cover today is our community is in transition. We are dealing with the transition from Bruce, our former lead pastor, and now to whoever's our next lead pastor. We're in a time of transition as a community, and there's a great deal of uncertainty for many of you as to what's, what's going to happen next. And there was a time of great uncertainty in the life of the, of the nation of Israel. There was a time when Moses, the great leader of the nation, who had taken the people out of Egypt, 
and had taken them to the, uh, on the footsteps of the, the land of promise, he was ready to kind of say his last words and give his last charge to the nation of Israel. And he was ready to turn the leadership baton over to his, his follower, his, his apprentice, Joshua. One note just on the front end, though. We love this narrative. We love that we believe this, these are real people, real time and space history. This stuff actually happened. We believe it speaks very loudly to us today, but you need no little orphan Annie secret decoder ring to try to find symbolism with any of these characters or figures or, or places. We didn't choose this because we think it exactly mirrors our situation at Warehouse. We chose it simply because it's a great narrative and we think it speaks loudly to us today. So there's no hidden agenda with any of these characters or anything that you'll hear today or throughout this series. Here's the background. Thousands of years ago, God appears to a man named Abram. And Abram was living in what is essentially modern-day Iraq, right around the Euphrates River. Abram and his family journeyed north to the northern end of the Euphrates River. And God picks this man, Abram, and says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless your descendants. And the entire world will be blessed through you and through your descendants. And Abram, being a humble man and a man of faith, says, okay. And God says, I want you to leave what is basically present-day Iraq, and I want you to journey down kind of through Lebanon and down into what is modern-day Israel. That's the land I'm going to give, the land of Canaan. I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. And Abraham faithfully went, and that became the land of promise, that someday Abraham's descendants would inherit this land of promise. Well, now fast forward a couple hundred years, and here we have Moses, about, he's, he's 120 years old. He's ready to hand off the leadership baton to Joshua. And they're on the plains of Moab, just on the east side of the Jordan River, about ready to cross into the Promised Land. And we're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. It's written largely by Moses. It's basically a collection of his last sermons, his last sermons that he was giving to the people saying, remember these things. Moses was a great leader and a great pastor to these people for over 40 years. And these are the words that Moses wants his people to remember. And so we start with Moses saying this, and this is Deuteronomy chapter 30. So Moses said, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. The last couple of chapters of Deuteronomy outline, if you follow God with your whole heart, these are the blessings of what God has in store for you. But... If you choose to treat God as an irrelevance, if you choose to go your own way, if you choose to take good things that God has created and make them ultimate things in your life, there will be consequences to that because that's not how the universe is supposed to work. God said, I designed the universe, the earth and everything in it. So if you choose to live independently from me, understand that I love you and I'll let you do that, but there will be a cost associated with it. And it will not go well for you because that's not how you're created. That's not the purposes and plans that I have for you. You've got to make a choice. So Moses says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham and then to his son Isaac and his son Jacob. So continuing in Deuteronomy 31. So then Moses goes out and speaks these words to all of Israel. And he says, and now notice these words, because it's a refrain that we'll hear over and over and over again. Up against a time of transition and up a time against of uncertainty, here comes God's antidote, his, his counteracting force. 
his antidote to the people during a time of, of uncertainty, be strong and courageous, Moses tells the people. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. The land is populated right now with incredibly dark and evil people, and God is calling his people to, uh, to take over the land because the land is steeped in wickedness at this point. Do not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave or forsake you. And so Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all the people, he said, Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never, or le- he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why did God and why did Moses choose to repeat this phrase over and over again? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Because Joshua and the people would forget. We're human beings. We forget all the time. And we need to be reminded of sometimes the most basic antidotes, the most basic commands, the most basic truths over and over and over again because we'll forget. And the promise or the antidote to a time of uncertainty, the counteracting force, God says, my command, be strong and courageous. And why? Because I go with you. And this is a, this promise, I will go with you. That is a promise that we need to remember and that God is asking us to remember even today. Now, you, you must forgive me. I have not seen the Avengers, so please don't give away the ending. My wife and I are playing catch-up here. We've been told, make sure you see Thor, which we've done. Love Thor. Make sure you see Captain America, which we've done. We just did that this weekend. Like Captain America, not as much as Thor, but... Uh, now, if you've seen Thor, you'll understand something from Norse mythology that d- creeps its way into Greek and Roman mythology as well, that if we're not careful, can creep into our hearts as well. And it's this whole idea of God's presence. Now, you remember that Odin is the good king, but he's somewhere way out there. I was thinking about this the other day as I was putting my kids to bed. There was a storm coming, and I was looking at the storm clouds in the distance, and I was thinking, how often do I think of God not being here, but kind of being up there, kind of like Odin, kind of being flickering somewhere in some time-space continuum way over there, way out there somewhere? Because that was the idea that the Norse people had in their mythology. That's the idea that the Greeks and Romans had, that the gods were transcendent, right? They were above creation, but they weren't actively involved in creation. They would only meddle when it was worth their, depending on the god, they'd meddle if they were kind of feisty. Or, like in the case of Odin, he'd send maybe his son, or maybe he'd send his legions if, if Earth needed rescue, right? But it took a particular act, and there was, there was no imminence to God's presence. This idea of both the transcendence of God and the imminence of God is extremely distinct to Christianity. That God is both up there, that God sees all of life happening, but he's also actively involved here. And not just here, here. I mean, some of us think, oh, sure, we'll meet God because we're going to church. God kind of invades that space because it's a good space to invade, right? But what the Bible affirms over and over again is there's no place that we can go to escape God. God is everywhere. God is imminently involved in his creation. 
And Jesus affirmed this, and we've talked about this in a couple series ago when we were talking about the kingdom of me. The fact that when Jesus came and he announced that the kingdom of, of the heavens or the kingdom of God is upon you, it's near you, that's God's way of saying heaven is here right now in a very real sense, that God is invading this space right now. He can't help but not to. He's, he's a pure spirit. There's no place that we can escape him. So regardless, that's the promise rooted in the reality of God. And because God is everywhere, and the theologians call this the omnipresence of God, because God is everywhere, his promise is you need not be afraid because I go with you. And that's a wonderful promise that we can take with us when confronted with the challenges of life in transition. God gives us his commands, but he roots those in his very character and his promise never to leave us. And so we continue here, Deuteronomy 31. So Moses wrote down this law, and at this point, there wasn't much of a Bible. The Bible was being written. These were just the first couple books of the, of the Bible. Moses writes down this law and gives it to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commands them, at the end of every seven years, at the year of canceling debts, during the, feast, during the festival of the tabernacles, a particular uh, celebration that the community was to observe every seven years, seven years, when all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land. In other words, we will forget. And Moses is reminding the people Read the law, read the scriptures, read the Bible. Remember the antidotes that he will provide. They're there. God's promises and his truth are rooted in the scriptures. The scriptures aren't made, the Bible that we have today isn't meant, isn't designed just to be read, read casually every now and again. God gives us to us and God's word reminds us, read it over and over and over again. Make a pattern of reading it. Because life will throw change and transition and chaos your way. And if you don't continue to root yourself in the promises of God, you'll forget and you'll despair. Moses continues. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it. And he goes on to detail why singing this particular song is so very important. If you look at the tail end of Deuteronomy, it's not exactly a toe tapper, this particular song that Moses wrote down. It's a long song. It's, uh, it doesn't really have a refrain or a chorus that you can kind of uh, get into. It's kind of a dirge in some ways, but it's a song. And there are things that I will say that will you know, vanish out of your mind as you leave here. But you will remember and you'll be humming the songs that the band sings, maybe the special music that you just heard, maybe some songs that you heard, you'll hear in a few minutes. Maybe memorizing words in a book or memorizing words from the Bible, maybe that's really hard to you, but lyrics from a song are easy to remember for you. Moses is reminding the people, singing songs is actually incredibly important because it helps you remember. It helps you remember God's antidote, and it helps you remember God's promises. That's why the kids, maybe even right about now, are singing songs upstairs, because it's a way of reinforcing God's truth and his God's promises. And that's why, as a community, we believe it's so important to come together on Sunday and not just make this kind of an optional thing, but as if we're in town, to come together to not only hear God's word, but to sing the songs and to remind ourselves of these truths. 
truths. That's what Moses was telling the people to do even back then. Deuteronomy ends. These are the last sermons that Moses gives to the people. And then the end of Deuteronomy, someone uh, after Moses kind of records the, the last days of his life. Again, Moses 120 years old. The faithful pastor to the people for over 40 years. As they wandered through the wilderness. And finally now they're on the footsteps of the promised land. The land promised to Abraham. And Moses, because of his own sin and disobedience during a tragic moment in his own life, God tells him, Moses, because of your disobedience, you are not allowed to go into the promised land. And so Moses has to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. He's not allowed to go in. And he dies. And notice what the, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 34. So the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan, for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. For some of you who have been at Warehouse, maybe this is your first week, or maybe last week was your first week, you don't have a context for um, the kind of the transition that this community is going through. But a number of you have been here for many years. And so you are navigating your own grief and loss as you deal with uh, the reality that Bruce isn't, isn't going to be here anymore. As we're navigating the transition from Bruce's time as our lead pastor to whoever's next. This simple sentence from the Bible is a reminder that grieving loss, whatever the loss is, whether it's the loss of a pastor or whether it's the loss of something else really personal to you, grief and loss and navigating that well is exceedingly important. And it's also there are two equal and opposite errors that we can fall into with regard to navigating transition and grief and loss. One of them is to not grieve at all. Some, just to bury it and move on. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to bury it and move on. And the opposite temptation is equally bad, and that is to continue to grieve and grieve and grieve and grieve and never to bring closure. And it's very illustrative that in this particular passage, God prescribes to the people a full month to deal with the loss of their leader, a, someone, a, a pastor and a leader that they had grown to know over a period of 40 years. And honestly, there were some people who knew, knew Moses better than others. And they were going to grieve, and in a couple of days, they were going to be fine. But God said, give space to the rest of your community to grieve for a full month. And understand that there's going to be a time where grieving and mourning has to end, and then you do move on. And that's why community and friendship is so important. Because sometimes we need the arms and the shoulders of our friends to just carry us and to give us a shoulder to cry on, regardless of the, the grief and loss that we're navigating. We need each other to navigate that in a healthy way. Because if we just speed past change and transition in our life, that's not healthy. And if we stay in that period, it's not healthy either. We need each other. But as a community and in our individual lives as well, there's also a challenge to move forward. And so the last slide. After Moses' death, so the Lord speaks to Joshua. They're about to enter the land of promise, after centuries of waiting. And God affirms to, Mos uh, to Joshua, rather, Joshua, I will never leave or you or forsake you. Here's the refrain again. Be strong and courageous, because you, Joshua, will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Remember the book of Deuteronomy, in other words. Do not turn to it from the left or to the right, that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Again, the antidote. Be strong and courageous. The promise. For I will, go, I will be with you wherever you go. Now, two things that we need to extract from these verses. One, God's reminder to Joshua, a leader of incredible strength, but a leader who needed to be reminded of some core truths, and a leader who needed to be reminded, you know, quite simply, Joshua, read your Bible. You'll need to read your Bible, and you'll need to read it all the time. Meditate on your Bible, Joshua. You'll need it. Eugene Peterson pastor and author has an interesting phrase when it comes to that that line about meditate on it he says uh, eugene peterson says meditation is mastication think of a piece of jerky think of a piece of steak you don't just put it in your mouth and you don't just swallow it you got to work it you got to grind it in your teeth you got to break that protein down so that it goes down into your system and actually gives you fuel and energy. And that's the, that's the image of working in a piece of meat, really digging into it. That's how we're, so, we're to approach God's Word. And regardless of where we are on our spiritual journey, God gives us the invitation, come and read. And He gives us this imagery, taste and see that my words are good and they'll give you life. Meditate, chew on these words. Not just every once in a while, but make it a point day and night. Don't veer to the left or to the right, but make it a point of working those words in your life. And finally, a word about the promise. There's a profound difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is all about the things that you and I have to do to navigate life and to get right with God. So the religious response to a time of transition or change, the religious response is be strong and courageous, period. Do strong and courageous things. Think strong and courageous thoughts. Read strong and courageous books. Surround yourself with strong and courageous people because at the end of the day, it's up to you. That's diametrically opposed to the Christian response, which is the command is to be strong and courageous. And how can you do that? Because you root yourself, it starts with God first. Because of his promises to never leave or forsake us, that gives us the strength to be strong and courageous. I mean, if God goes with us, if God's promise to each and every one of us is to go with us wherever we are, if God is always with us, if there's no place that we can go where God's presence is not there in its fullness, what do we have to fear? It's the reality of God's promise that we take with us. That's what gives us the strength and courage to live a life well in transition. So in conclusion, what's the transition that you're navigating? Maybe the loss of a pastor is right here for you. But maybe as real as that is, maybe there are other issues in your life that you're navigating. Maybe it's the loss of a relationship. 
Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job, of income. Maybe it's the loss of something that you really cherished and held dear. And if we're not navigating a profound loss right now, guaranteed, loss and challenge will come our way. So the question is, when those moments of change and transition come, because life is all about change and transition, how do we navigate that terrain well? Do we retreat or do we move forward? Do we become paralyzed in our fear or do we have the strength and courage to live freely? Throughout this series, we'll be reminding each other when the challenges come, when that malevolent force presses into our life, we'll be reminding ourselves of God's antidote, the counteracting force that God provides for us, the commands that he gives us, and the promise that he roots in his reality. You know, way back in the time of Joshua and Moses, God made his promise to always be with them. But in regards to sin and redemption, there was a very specific system of sacrifices that the people had to obey because they sinned. Even Joshua did. And there was a regular rhythm of sacrifices they had, they had to bring to the offer to ask for God's forgiveness, to ask for atonement for their sins. And though God's presence was very real with them, that God's promises were true, they still had to deal with their own sin. And Joshua's name means, again, God is salvation, Yahweh is salvation. Well, centuries later, Jesus would come. Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus' name means God is salvation. And instead of being banished from heaven to accomplish redemption on his own terms, Jesus willingly left heaven. He willingly left his Father. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die because of our sin and selfishness. And he put an end to the sacrificial system that, Joshua, that Moses and Joshua and the people knew so well. He hung on the cross and proclaim that it is finished. The system of sacrifices would be done because Jesus accomplished the ultimate sacrifice, demonstrating that he is salvation. And Jesus' own promise that if we received his gift of, of, of forgiveness and reconciliation being restored to God, Jesus' own promise to each and every one of us is, I go with you, surely I am with you, even to the very end. So our challenge during times of navigating transition, understand that life will be difficult regardless of what the transition is. God's antidote, be strong and courageous. Why? Because of his promise. I am with you always, even to the very end. Let's pray.